Welcome to Season 4 of Copy Room Conversations, Releasing Imperfection and Normalizing Joy. My intention in sharing these precious humans with you is to inspire you to let go, let down, and remember that joy is love without inhibition, and love without inhibition is joy. With joy, we will not only survive, we will remember what it is to thrive, and so will our kids. Big thanks to our sponsor, Dirt Path Publishing, a company dedicated to publishing works with social impact. They are also the publisher of my book, Nothing's Missing, released earlier this year. For more information about my book, visit nicoleluciani.com. And for more information on Dirt Path Publishing, visit dirtpathpublishing.com. In the meantime, and always, welcome to the copy room. Catherine Baker. My heart warms up just at the sound of her name. If you knew Catherine, you'd know exactly what I mean. She smiles and lights up the room with her goodness. She's kind and sweet, thoughtful and smart. And when she talks with you, her energy and her eyes make you feel like you might be the most important person in the world. Catherine has seen heartache in recent years. While some might sour as a result, it seems she's allowed herself to become even more tender, more empathetic, more in love with the work of her heart than maybe she ever has been. Her resilience in our profession offers us inspiration to take the next step, and the next one, and the next one, because she believes in us. She makes room for our joy, and she believes in our kids, most of all. Were you in the very first cohort of Hollyhock? So I was 16. Oh, so 16. maybe third? You were the third. third. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so you came into the to Hollyhock Fellowship, and for our listeners, that's this extraordinary fellowship that um, the Center to Support Excellence in Teaching at Stanford University um, was able to put together, and I was uh, lucky enough to be a part of that team. I was in the history group, but you were English, if I recall. That's right. That's right. Tell us a little bit about your experience in that in that fellowship. Don't sugarcoat it. Speak your truth. No, I know I want it all. Um, I like to think back on it and say it came at the perfect time in my career. Mm-hmm. I was very hesitant. It wasn't until Hollyhock that I started taking some risks. I very much was. Um, I didn't want to step outside the box. I didn't. And I think that comes with a fear of failure. But a a buddy of mine, Savannah Wyndham, she was like, we should really apply for this. Um, So we did it. We got in. We were super stoked. But um, being there, it changed my life personally, but also like the trajectory of my career. So it tapped me into like lifelong friends that I have that I still hang out with and talk to to this day. Um, Mm -hmm. So just having like a professional community that's not super local has been a beautiful thing and it was at a point in my career where I was pretty established I think it was year four or five but I was being faced with tremendous leadership responsibilities that I didn't quite know how to deal with but that Mm -hmm. through the fellowship and the leading fellows program really Mm. helped so much you know Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it it was great I mean just in terms of like best practices friends community joy filling you know something just to look forward to you know yeah it really was such a special thing to be a part of I totally agree on the other side as well 
I don't know why schools do this crazy thing that just when you can start to breathe as a teacher, you now become a leader with no preparation. Correct. Was that your experience? A thousand percent. And I'm seeing mm-hmm. it more and more. Um, it's happening with first year teachers, second year teachers. Oh They're being, God. I don't want to say burdened with, but it mm-hmm. can be. Yeah. With enormous responsibility. And I'm like, you're doing what? Like, it, it, isn't this your like first or second year? Like, are you, yeah. how, are you how are you doing with that? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. And you go into survival mode, right? And then, like mm-hmm. you said, you don't want to step out of the box because you can barely breathe as it is. And now you want me to take a risk? Like, have you lost your damn mind? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, because I'm curious, first of all, I want to hear how you came to the work of teaching, because I think everybody comes kind of with their unique lens. Mm -hmm. And then I want to hear you talk about, because when you started with Hollyhock, you were in high school. And then for a minute, you went to elementary. Mm-hmm. And now That's you're right. back. So take take us all the way back to um, kind of your experience in school and then all the way to today. Sure. And this this is like going to be like, I think, a continuing theme throughout our conversation is like the idea of rejection, failure, expectations, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was in I, I went to college at East Carolina University and I knew I wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to be just like my mom. Um, but more than that, I knew that I wanted to do work of the heart, you know, Mm -hmm. so something that tangibly leaves an impact and that leaves the world a little bit better, at least than how I've found it. Um, and so I was in nursing school and I had never failed a class, um, ever like, you know, like C's, I was like so emotional about C's (laughs) and uh, I was in this, and I came from a very rural tiny high school and I'm thrust into, you know, you know, classes that are 500 people large. And Mm. I was failing several classes that were for my nursing major. Wow. And that scared me to death. Right. So I like, I'm questioning everything. Like, am I worthy of being here? Um, Mm. What am I doing with my life? Like, why did I make this choice? And I dropped a lot of the classes. Um, I took a Mm. big step back in terms of the rigor of the course load. And I was talking to my friend, Eddie, and he is this phenomenal math educator. Mm. Um, he was a couple years older than me and he was like, cat, don't you want to like, I think you'd be a really good teacher. I was like, no, I would not. <laughs> he was like, no, think about it. you really would be. Mm-hmm. And started like listing off all these things. And it was like hard to hear nice things being said about me. But mm. I was like, you know, what? he's kind of right. Like this could be cool. So he was like, just take a few. You're in this, like, I call it my year of exploration so I was taking mm. like a ton of women's studies courses Love um he that. was like you're making your schedule like just take some of like the education college prereqs and I loved them so I was like mm. okay like I could see this like this is kind of cool and then I got to student teaching and it just felt so natural I loved it and I that's how I came to teaching definitely mm. was nothing I ever you know dreamed of doing I didn't like you know play school or anything like that yeah. Um, and that's how I landed it at Northern Durham. I, and I fell in love with the department there. So I was there mm-hmm. for seven years. And this is like right at the end of my time at Stanford. Okay. Um, so this was a year after my leading fellows program. And it's weird because I feel like there's like this slow shift in like the way 
educators were being treated, the expectations that were starting to be put upon us, like right before the pandemic, like I think everybody was almost like at a breaking point mm-hmm. of I, I'm being asked too much. Mm-hmm. And that particular year I was department chair. So a lot of the times I put myself last mm-hmm. in terms of what courses I wanted to teach. So I, I, I mean, I was all over the place that year. I had six different preps. Oh, I, I didn't teach the same thing twice. And I was teaching a credit recovery course mm-hmm. and there were kids in there from all across the board, like all different ages. And they wanted us to basically sit them down on a computer and like do computer gained credits. Mm-hmm. And it just felt so grimy. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how else to put it. Like there was no, like I, I built relationships with them, you know, but that wasn't what was intended. And it ended up being one of the favorite classes like I ever taught. Mm. But I was just like talking to these kids. It's like, how did you get to be like taking this course for the fourth time? You know, English mm. one for the fourth time in your 18. Mm. And what I what I found was is like the system of education had just failed these kids in so many ways. And certain educators had really made these kids feel like they didn't belong in schools. Mm. So I did a little soul searching. And I was like, well, what if I did fifth grade or sixth grade, like younger kids mm-hmm. and maybe made them fall? Cause I wanted to get like a, like kind of an at risk or gateway type of demographic. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, what if I went to like fifth or sixth grade and just brought tons of joy, excitement back into the classroom and maybe change how mm-hmm. they perceive schooling for the next few years? Like that could be powerful. Um, so I did, and it was a really cool journey. Wow. It was, but elementary school, that's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> in terms of what, what's expected, how you're treated, mm-hmm. expectations, all that. And so I left, uh, my fifth grade classroom in December and said, well, what, what is my life missing right now? And, and it was the relationships, the excitement, the highs and lows of high school. Mm. Um, so I'm at a really, really cool school right now. Mm. And honestly, probably my favorite place I've ever worked. Oh my God. That's amazing. It is. It's really cool. And I tell them that I tell them that every day. I'm like, man, y'all make me really love like waking up super early and driving kind of far to come and work Mm -hmm. with you. Mm. Um, So it's been cool. What did you learn about learning when you mm-hmm. were with the younger kids? Well, oh, man, one, they're all over the place. I mean, I think that's the, the, the same in high school as well, but I mean, they're coming with like such incredible, like gaps in knowledge. So it's like figuring out a way to break down really complicated things and make it accessible for everybody. And they all come to the table with just different experiences. So you have to figure out like motivation in a way which it is the same in high school, but it's different for they're younger. Like they're just, they're tinier. Um, so things where like a relationship, like strong relationship building worked in high school. It took like really creative ways when they're younger. Like they're Mm. very like extrinsically motivated. Like, um, that water bottle sticker, I really want to work for that. so Mm. I'm going to like try really hard for that sticker or um, like I had this like table that I built and I would like draw things for them to color in. And -hmm. so they would be like, okay, so I'm going to do like, I'm going to try really hard for that thing. So it's like finding ways to motivate them and then also figuring out a way to differentiate that. Cause it's like a whole, 
I mean, I think in fifth grade, I had a kid, he was reading um, at a first grade reading level. So it was like tons mm. of fun to work with him. And by the mm. end of the year, it was actually the year that we were virtual. He was on a fifth grade level, which wow. was really cool for him. Yeah, he, he worked really just incredibly hard. And I think that he was a kid that a lot of people had overlooked because he was so mm. quiet and shy, but just like putting in that time and, and building that confidence within him made yeah. it made a big difference. That's so beautiful. It was. It makes me wonder, like, maybe that's that's the whole, that boy was the whole reason you went to fifth grade. You know, that could be. For sure. Yeah. That's really yep. lovely. I love that. Yeah. Are you comfortable talking about why you left in December as opposed to continuing the year? Oh, I'm completely comfortable. I don't think I was at the time, but I think I definitely am now. Okay. So I did two years um, at a Title I school. And then I changed to a year-round school. Um, and a lot of this is around my personal mental health. Mm-hmm. And I'll be super real. So I was, uh, in Please. the past year, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Okay. And I wasn't quite sure how to name at the time um, certain, uh, I don't know, moods that I would get in. Mm-hmm. And people that worked with me for a long time, they, 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 they would distinctly knew. Like Savannah would know October... March is not good for Catherine. Like these are just really dark times for her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I was really blessed to have people that knew me really well to like step in and support me in those like really like times I was like pulling away. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe year round would like align better with these Mm. periods where I'm like, it's really hard to get out of bed this morning. It's really hard to, to function today. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I went in, you know, and it was, it was tough because I had two weeks of summer. Mm-hmm. started a brand new job at a brand new school now this was not a title one school this is a magnet school it was touted as being the best elementary school in Durham mm-hmm. and uh incredible principal first week there he announces he's retiring oh shit and so a lot of the reasons that that attracted me to that school were then taken away Mm. we also had like a lot of like personal stuff going on in our life like our house flooded so it was like chaotic life things that were going on as I'm trying to establish myself in this new place Mm -hmm. I just felt really isolated and alone like I didn't have a lot of support Mm -hmm. um, at this new place and one of the most important things to them was testing Mm. was these students we are a blue ribbon award winning school we need to be this year. This is our great comeback. And that, and so that's their mindset. It's not, how do we welcome these kids back into school that haven't been in school since they were in third grade? Right. My how do God. we teach them how to be, how do we make space for them to make friends? Um, how do we bring in kids who have been terrified to be in public um, back in a classroom that's packed full? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had, it was, that was like a conflicting thing for me mm-hmm. because my work is established. I mean, the foundation, the bread and butter is relationships Right. to then be told, well, your test scores better be what we expect them to be. This is what you're projected to get. Mm-hmm. This is what it needs to be. Wow. And then also just some feelings of, I felt like there, there were times when, um, I was being called out for things where other teammates of mine weren't. I had, mm. I had, a, there was a kid, um, well, there was two separate incidences really close together where, um, an alterta- uh, altercation turned physical. Mm-hmm. You know, I had 
had all these things in place, but you know, there's certain things that are out of our control. We can't like jump into a kid's body and make it not happen. Totally. Totally. And I was sat down for a conversation about my classroom management and was my classroom a safe space for those students? What? And it felt like just such a, if man, it just felt like such a, I don't know, betrayal or it just made me feel like all the really hard work that I had done did not matter at all. That was their impression of me, my teaching. And it turned out my scores were really great when I left in Mm -hmm. December. And there was Mm -hmm. a public apology issued from the curriculum coach that didn't think I would be able to hit that goal. Um, So I think there were some Title I prejudices going on there. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. I don't don't want to speak for anybody. That was, you know, I can just speak my experience and the way that I felt. Of course. Um, And so it it was definitely like, I don't feel, this doesn't feel good anymore. Right. This doesn't feel like, and it was so tough because, man, those kids were incredible. Mm. The most fantastic group of kids and parents. The parents are just so supportive of me, Mm -hmm. anything that I needed, anything that my kids needed and didn't care about me just as a teacher, but as a person too. Mm. The the day my house flooded, I had a parent show up um, with coffee, towels, and they're like, what do you need? Can I do anything? And I was like, man, that is, that's community, you know? I love that. That was such a good thing. Yeah. It was really, really cool. So that, that's kind of what led up to it. It was, it was not only like these extreme pressures, but I think a compromising of my, I felt like I was compromising my teacher values in a way. Our values just did not align. Not mm-hmm. that there's anything wrong with that school or that administration, mm-hmm. a beautiful place, but it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you are grappling with your mental health, you've yeah. got to make tough choices sometimes. And the mm-hmm. best thing that we can give our kids is a healthy us. Mm-hmm. Right? There is no. There is no value in us stripping ourselves bare to be the martyr or aware that like superhero trope. It's just yeah. t- total horseshit, right? If, we, if we're not healthy, our it kids is. will not be healthy. Yeah. And they're not. And I think that we, we have all experienced educators like that. Either we've been taught by them or we have worked with them and we're just like, this isn't healthy for you and it's not serving our kids right um like take care of you you know as a department chair that was always like my first thing was like you do whatever you need to do because mm-hmm. if you're not okay then you can't be okay to come in here and do this work every day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's been a journey of you learning that lesson for yourself it sounds like as well a thousand percent oh yeah mm-hmm. I would I would you know I've had to learn how to put up boundaries that are healthy for me Mm-hmm. And my wife, she's a kindergarten teacher. She's had to learn the same thing mm. um, over the past 10 years. You know, I've seen such a massive shift in her and like how much better her outlook is than maybe mm. it was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely a lesson to be learned. And it's a hard one yeah. um, because we do feel there are impossible expectations that are set upon us sometimes. 100. Yeah, Absolutely. And how lovely that your wife is also a teacher, probably similarly mm-hmm. warm-hearted as you, I would imagine. Oh, man, she, I, I hope nothing less. Yeah, her nickname is literally Bubbly. So if mm. that says anything, you know, mm. she's in the right place. Yeah. 
Well, and to be able to come home and put your burdens down with someone who truly does understand what it is yes. that you're dealing with yep. and celebrate with you that true someone who really, truly understands how extraordinary mm -hmm. something is. That's really lovely. Yeah. So tell me, as, as teachers, we're all learners. I think that every kid and their family member is going to teach us something, especially the ones we wish were absent. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering, as you look back, Obviously, boundaries is something you've had to learn. Obviously, taking care of yourself yeah. and positioning yourself as just as important is something you've had to learn. Is there anything in particular that comes to mind as something you've learned from a student or their family that maybe was a pretty tough lesson? Oh, yeah. I mean, so I think back, especially to my first couple of years at Northern, I would have, you know, there was just some extreme, like, abusive behaviors from students. Like, they cuss mm -hmm. you out. They would make it personal, personal comments about you. And it, and I'm very tenderhearted. And th mm. that man, that would eat me up those first couple of years. I'd be like, damn, like, mm. I didn't deserve that. Mm -hmm. And so I really had to take a step back. And like through building a relationship with those kids, mm. it's not about us. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody is bringing the multitudes of what has gone on in their life. And oftentimes we project that onto other people. We lash out at other people. And what I found out was a lot of the times those kids were lashing out at me because it was a safe place to lash out. Of course. Because they knew the next day it was going to be, hey, how are you? Like it's it. So I, I think that, you know, we just have to remember that we're all a sum of our experiences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times how other people treat us is is it is not a reflection of who we are. Right. But it's a reflection of like what other people are going through at that particular time. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. It's made all the difference. Hasn't it? Because you can just kind of take a pause and mm -hmm. recognize this is not about me right now. Yeah. And hold a boundary because kids need boundaries, mm -hmm. of course. And also they need grace, right? They need both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about schools like a puzzle, right? And if we're going to have yeah. a healthy school... Everybody has a particular piece that they put down. And when everybody puts mm -hmm. their pieces down, then we've got a hole, right? And I yeah. think about you and your level of authenticity and your level of care. I wonder, are, is that your puzzle piece that you put down on the table? Is there something else? No, I, I would agree with that completely. And just wanting to understand people for who they are. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, that's how communities come together. It is through authenticity. It's seeing a person for who they are, for the beautiful gifts that they offer, mm. and, and listening. Mm. Um, and I think that a lot of change can't take place because we're too busy arguing or mm. assuming what the other person means. But the first piece has to be caring about the human being that's across from you, whether it be your student, whether it be administrators, parents, change makers in the community, your, you know, your board members. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the schools that I've worked in where people desire to know who you are and respect that and, and truly care about your concerns and um, things that you want to happen, those have been the best places to work. Mm. I think, and it's really important. And there's really only one person I've ever worked for that has consistently been able to do that for their school community. I've worked for them twice. So he was my principal at Northern and then again at Merrick Moore. Is that where you are now? I'm not. Um, no. So I, I wanted, I would have tried to get in. Um, shout out to Mr. Matt Hunt. He's incredible. Uh -huh. He's a great leader. <laughs> but I'm at uh, Apex Friendship under Matt White. 
and he, from the first conversation with this man um, and his entire administrative staff, warm. Mm-hmm. They listen. They're mm-hmm. supportive. Um, and they truly treat us like professionals, mm. um, you know, and and want us to do the job of teaching. Wow. And it's a beautiful thing. That's such a gift. That should it be is. the norm. And yeah. it's not. So we have to yeah. acknowledge the um, that it is a gift for sure. This season is dedicated to normalizing joy. And when I thought, who do I want to be on this season? I thought back to Hollyhock and it, it wasn't even that you were like out there leading the cheers, right? You just were this bright light of humanity that you weren't even in my cohort or in my content area. And I just, it emanated from you. Every time you walk through those doors at LKS, I was like, oh, Catherine's here. I just, it's just this really quiet, loving, warm joy that, that comes out of your pores. And so I want to explore that with you. I wonder sure. if that's something that's just part of your disposition. I wonder if you've had to battle back perfectionism and if joy has helped you do that. Can you kind of take me through any experiences you have it for yourself and or for helping students through this kind of should perfect thing mm-hmm. and then how maybe Joyce helped you get through that. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I've talked about like the, the fear of failure. I, perfectionism has never really been um, a struggle for me personally, but I've seen it in students time and time, like time and time again. And what I always ask them is, did you try your best? Did you give everything in your person to whatever task you wanted to do. And if the answer is mm-hmm. yes, then that is not a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, failure is the best lesson to us. It creates tenacity and grit within us and maybe lets us know things that aren't right for us versus what we, what we mm-hmm. think is right. And what is, you know, I think back to what would life be like if I was a nurse versus a teacher? I can't mm-hmm. say that my life would be as joyful if I wasn't mm-hmm. an educator. I think that, just how I am as a person is like, I think I have a, a, a deep down desire to be loved. Mm. So I give love freely. Mm. Um, I think that I struggled a lot when I was younger um, with not feeling authentically loved for who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't ever want anybody to feel like that. That's such an easy thing to give some days more than others. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I'm the most loving every single day, of course. Um, but that's an easy free thing that we can give. That really, I mean, I've never once regretted giving that part of myself to other people mm. because it has always been something that they appreciate. I mean, even the kid I've been, so I've been at this current school for about two months and they already are just like, you know, you like your mama bear, like, you know, we, mm. we like you truly like listen to us. Like you, we can tell that you love and care about us. And like, that's like, it's very different. Um, mm. And we appreciate you for that. Mm-hmm. It carries some very serious vulnerability to be that way to be mm-hmm. that open-hearted yeah especially for someone like yourself who you said felt like you weren't always loved for who you really were mm-hmm. what gave you that courage yeah. to just say I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give this love because this is what I need and I know it comes with risks what gives you yeah. what gives you that courage I think that um it gives you an understanding of uh who you can and cannot trust, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So if you mm-hmm. are just authentically yourself, 
mm-hmm. you can make a determination of because people are going to react to you one way or the other. They're going to accept you or they're not. Mm-hmm. So I'd almost rather like from from jump know who was going to be receptive and open to me mm-hmm. um, than have that paranoia or like fear of rejection in the mm-hmm. back of my mind. Um, so sometimes when you lead with that, it's almost like, well, you can either accept me or not, but it's not going to hurt me. Right. You know, it's not going right. to, you can't be disappointed because I'm like, Hey, I've given you the best of me. Um, mm-hmm. And if that's not good enough for you, then that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And you do know right away because you're not holding mm-hmm. anything back. Yeah. If you can trust someone, right. As opposed to yeah. trying to front and then do they like yeah. you because of the front or do they, you know, it's, it's confusing. Exactly. It, yeah. Having a mask on all the time is just literally exhausting. And yeah. I felt like, you know, it wasn't something that was something that I had to almost perfect a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. like it started in college. It definitely like, I was a lot more guarded during student teaching because there's still a grade attached to it. Sure. Um, I think I was very like tentative my first year, but by the second year of teaching, I was like, this is just how I want to be. This is, mm-hmm. I don't want to be fake. And kids are such a good, they can just, they can detect bullshit. Like you're not totally. being real. You are so fake. I literally don't care. They want authenticity. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I can give you that, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel like you liberating yourself in turn liberates the students to be themselves? Yes. I mean, like 100%. Not every kid is going to open up, but I just think about, you know, like we're just having regular conversations, like they're doing some work and they'll be talking and I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, I will insert myself. They, I'm like a shameless insert. They know this. <laughs> um, but some of like, I'm like, what you say? What are y'all listening to? What you watching? <laughs> I love that. But, but they, some of like the best, like most vulnerable conversations happen because of that. Like the other day, I don't, I, I really don't even know how it started, but like kids were just talking about their parents and their relationships with their parents and some of them were like, you know, it's really great. And others were like, I just don't feel like they quite understand me. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. me too. Like, I felt like mm-hmm. that growing up so much. Mm-hmm. And it's just feeling like they have like a kindred spirit in the world. Someone that mm-hmm. can relate to something that they're going through. I think it's really important um, mm-hmm. because I think our kids do feel really alone a lot of the times because they yeah. don't quite know who they are yet. And they are afraid of if they show who they really are, what if somebody doesn't, you know, accept me or want to be around me yeah yeah and that kind of brings us back to the beginning of the conversation when you said the themes of rejection and Mm -hmm. and love and seeking seeking love um i wonder if your um approach because everything about you feels to me like you you're delighted by others Mm -hmm. you're curious you're you're you want to know, like, tell me all the things, right? Mm-hmm. And and you just create this space where people feel seen by you. And we've talked in this season with some other guests about what joy looks like, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it can be loud and funny and joke telling, but it can also be just the pure joy of feeling seen by my teacher mm-hmm. and being... Yeah allowed to be who I am Mm -hmm. but you do that with adults too I mean I watched it in Hollyhock for those two weeks every summer I just watched you carry on and 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 create space for people so is that a real intentional thing that you do I don't know um I don't I don't think so I mean I guess like I would not do 
I, I wouldn't stop doing that. So I guess in that way it is intentional. But I think I think your your read of me is very accurate and I just I love other people. I love connection. Mm-hmm. I love meeting new people. I, I don't do very well by myself. It, and mm-hmm. it's funny because I'm a I call myself an introverted extrovert. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so you know, it's like I I do force myself, you know, to maybe carry on conversations whereas Inside, I'm like, oh, like, I'm so anxious right now. Like, I have a lot of anxiety <laughs> about this. Let me just go maybe talk to this person. It won't be that bad. Mm-hmm. That's exactly like how I met uh, Lee Peterson or Lee mm-hmm. Pichon um, mm-hmm. from New Orleans. It was just, I was feeling, like, really awkward. It was, like, at, a, at our first, like, here's 200 people. Get to know them. Oh, God, um, yeah. And I saw New Orleans on her name tag. And I was like, all right, my friend Devin, her husband's from New Orleans. Their dog is named Nola. Go, go talk to her. And then, <laughs> oh, and then beating and, yeah. And so it, and then I like, I sit down with her and Chris and, um, a few other people and it was just, Oh, cool. Like, these are my people. We have mm-hmm. a lot in common. This is a nice feeling, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then it gives you that courage to do the next time. Do it again. Yeah. yeah. To do it again. Do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Chris was on, um, on the on the podcast I don't know if you had a chance to hear it yet but if you haven't you should because he's on with his mom and it's just the greatest conversation I think it's it's so cool yeah they're very inspirational like I I love that because I was definitely influenced by like how I wanted to lead my life through my mom but I just Mm -hmm. love seeing like he'll go see her students and vice versa it's just so cool such a cool cool. I know I know I love it so when you think about how we can start to normalize joy in our classrooms, mm-hmm. we've already established it can look a lot of different ways. How would you advise someone that maybe is nervous to be authentic or maybe is kind of more serious in disposition? What small ways, what small things can we do to bring class, uh, joy into our classroom? Well, just think about the parts of yourself that you are okay sharing right mm-hmm. but like I gave the example of like knowing that my friend had a dog named Nola mm-hmm. right that's not that, that's not high risk that's not a high risk piece of information to give out to myself mm-hmm. and, I, and I like to create like uh routines or rituals in your classroom something that they can expect yeah. at northern it would be like good things or I always had music playing mm-hmm. um when I was teaching elementary school you know we always had a 30 minute morning meeting it was like the best mm-hmm. part of the day mm-hmm. um but just think about what are little parts of me that I don't feel scared to share mm-hmm. and then they're going to share back. And then you slowly start to feel safe or when you're given those cues of like, okay, it's safe for me to share this about me. You know, being mm-hmm. an openly gay educator is like really scary sometimes. And mm-hmm. I usually try and that, and you know, switching to elementary school, that was a really hard thing to, I look how I look. People like to judge based on the way that you look and mm-hmm. make assumptions about your life. But I mean, I was very open with my students and that was, I think that was probably the, the scariest thing for me yeah. um, was like, oh, are these kids going to, you know, just like shut me out completely. Mm. But I, and I'm not going to say that every student was like, okay with that part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't regret it because I had other students that were, that had gay parents or family yeah. members or siblings. And they were like, I've never met another person like this person in my family. Um, and so mm. that was, that was really, really nice. Cause I know that I would have appreciated that growing up. Well, I was just going to say, can you imagine how different your, your outlook would have been mm-hmm. had you had a teacher that you could go, Oh, 
they're like me. Mm-hmm. And you probably did, but they were closeted, exactly, right? So you yeah. don't even know. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. Kind of, and just like, yeah, like you said, with the, with the, the dog and the name of the dog, small steps toward greater authenticity mm-hmm. will allow a greater joy in our yeah. classrooms. And just and make that part of your daily routine. Maybe it's, um, I mean, bring some that you like genuinely love. Like if it's music, like say, mm-hmm. hey, this is a song I want to share with you today. What do you think of it? What's mm-hmm. something that you're listening to right now? Like, I mean, I'm, I love TikTok, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll like, I'll see like a funny video or something. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, y'all, I had to show you this mm-hmm. because it made me think about so-and-so and they're like, oh, that's so funny. You know, just mm-hmm. moments where you feel a little bit more open and vulnerable and they will and most kids will match that totally totally and if they don't as you said mm-hmm. earlier that's a them problem that's not a yeah. you problem absolutely yeah. great so do you when you think about where, these last two songs we ask everybody um we have a, a playlist <laughs> I love it. now many introverts i've i've interviewed say no i don't have a song i don't have a walk-up song yeah. i don't have a theme song i just like quiet then there are others who are like, immediately, I'm going to tell you the song that, that's like my hype song. So do you have one? I have two Great. that I, I rotate between. One is Sissy That Walk by RuPaul. Mm-hmm. Um, that will bring out your inner supermodel of the world. Um, <laughs> nobody can tell you anything if you yeah. if you listen to that in on your way into work. Don't listen to it on the <laughs> um, And then um, Edge of 17 by Stevie Nicks. You mm. know, I can just do spins down the hallway and... I'm amped up, ready to go for the day. I love it. I love that. So the name of the podcast is called Copy Room Conversations because Mm -hmm. for me, the most formative conversations I had were around the copy machine, right? For sure. And and the thing that I miss, the the absolute thing I miss most, and I say this unapologetically about not being at a school, is the copy room before school starts. When there's yeah. this buzz and there's this team feeling and we're gonna get out it and go have a great day. So yeah. if we were in the copy room together before school and you were headed out, what would you tell me? What what little piece of advice would you remind me or um, quick tip would you offer? Yeah, that takes me back to the copy room at Northern. We finally got one on our hall. And so we would all be crammed in this tiny little room, <laughs> um, you know, frantically making copies or like, hey, like, you're going to take a long time. Can you do mine? And like, yeah. <laughs> like that. well, the first thing, you know, I, I kind of was trying to like anticipate some things. Um, mm-hmm. But one is just like, make sure that you start your day with something that is going to make everybody smile. Mm -hmm. So whether it is like having music on when you come to the classroom or, you know, a lot of times I'd start the day when I was teaching elementary school with like a read aloud, like something that could be funny or like Mm -hmm. heartwarming or just apart from a book that I think that they would like, that was always like really great and and good things. Like I did an okay job with it. I know that Savannah Wyndham, um, who was a coworker of mine and was also part of the fellowship. She did a great job with good things. Like that was her thing. Mm. And so a lot of the times I would actually go in during my planning to watch her and her students do this like morning, you know, routine because it was like just so joy filled and starts the day off. Right. You know, I think we, a lot of the times as teachers, we sometimes get caught up in like the, it has to be all content all day. Um, But that's just, nobody learns that way. Mm-mm. And nobody feels vulnerable truly learning that way unless, I don't know, at least a part of their humanity is recognized and not treated just like another number or little yeah. robot, you know? Yeah, I do. I know exactly what you're saying. 
It's been so lovely to have you, Catherine. I, I'm you. so I really grateful that you. you said yes and that you were willing to share yourself with us. It's been a lovely hour that we've spent together. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your time with us in the copy room. Whether you're on your way to school, on your way home, walking your dog, or doing your household chores, I wish you a day of letting down and letting go. Remembering your birthright is to operate from a place of joy, even if your heart's broken. Perhaps especially when your heart's broken. Thank you to Dirt Path Publishing for producing this podcast, and to you for listening. Thank you.